Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. From Nice Guy Productions, world headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. 2022 has been a great year for original horror films in theaters and beyond. Yes, there are always franchises, Halloween Ends, Scream, Hellraiser, Prey, and the other perennials. But for years, we've been decrying the death of originals, especially on the big screen, where we can share our horrific experience with an eager crowd, because, as we often say here, horror is best and most effective shared. It has been a rich and surprising abundance of wealth, primarily in the independent world. But when the studios have found that originals can and do work in theaters as well as on their streaming platforms, all bets are off. Take Ty West as his double play of X and Pearl are shining examples, soon to be joined by a third chapter. Now add Barbarian, Bodies, 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 Nope, Watcher, Something in the Dirt, Hatching, The Menu, The Black Phone, and you've got a formidable year for our dark genre. And then there's Smile. Based on his short film, Laura Hasn't Slept, writer-director Parker Finn's Smile was originally intended for streaming, but found its way to the big screen and has grossed $200 million globally as of now. This is a huge achievement and will hopefully secure the studio's interest in giving us new and original stories to tell in our local cineplexes. Parker is our guest today, and we'll learn all about that long and winding road that led to such a huge box office success on his first time out after this. Never trust a smile again. The hit horror movie Smile is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. After witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident involving a patient, Dr. Rose Cotter starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she cannot explain. As an overwhelming terror begins taking over her life, Rose must confront her troubling past in order to survive and escape her horrifying new reality. How far will Rose go to find out what's behind a smile? Sosie Bacon stars in Smile, now streaming on Paramount Plus. Rated R. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome. It's great to have you here, Parker. Thank you. It's amazing to be here. Well, how does a guy go from Bath, Ohio to a $200 million grossing horror studio horror movie? Where did that start? I know you went to film school in L.A., but how did that transition from small town Ohio lead you to Hollywood? Yeah, I mean, I guess it was uh, slowly but surely, um, you know, growing up in uh, in northern Ohio, um, you know, my, I was a fan of movies from a young age. My dad was a cinephile and got me into, um, you know, watching everything. Uh, and, you know, I was, I was watching rated R movies when I was way too young. Um, and but, not just genre films, but a wide panoply of films. A, a wide range of stuff, but definitely there was a lot of genre films. I mean, he loved like 
you know, war films and Western films, but he also definitely got me into um, genre as well because he, he was a fan of, of special effects and, um, right. and you know, that sort of immediately uh, uh, sort of carried over to me. Um, and and uh, I, I hear that Poltergeist changed your life. Yeah, big time. I mean, Poltergeist scared me so badly as a kid. Um, <laughs> you know, I and I have so much love for that movie. But um, I mean, there's just so many scenes in that film that are really traumatizing for like, you know, a young boy back when, you know, I feel like everybody's so overexposed to everything now because of the Internet. But, you know, back back when I was growing up, you know, the only chance to see something like that was in a movie and and it um yeah, there's just so many traumatizing scenes in that film. And it's also like the fact that it's like rated PG is like yeah, ridiculous, yeah. which I know is part of, I think, of when it was released. But It was um, right before the PG-13 rating became a reality, also through Steven Spielberg and the uh, second Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I grew up loving horror films. My, my mom also, um, you know, was... Um, she had been a school teacher and was very big on reading, so I, I also always had a book in my hand. Oh, that's um, great! So sort of, I had I had both going on at the same time. Um, but when you're growing up in like Northern Ohio as a kid, back you know, I was growing up in the I was born in the eighties, gro- growing up in the nineties. Um, the uh, you know, I feel like movies just sort of feel like this this fully formed thing that's like handed down from above. You know, you're not really <laughs> thinking about like how they get made or, or where they come from. They just sort of feel like, you know, pure intention. And so I think like when I was a kid, I kind of, you know, I wanted to be like, you know, Harrison Ford. I wanted to be Indiana Jones and Han Solo <laughs> and all those things. Cause like, that's what I saw. Right. And I didn't right. understand that somebody was like authoring these films until at a certain point, you know, it was the, it was the, you know, certainly with like, you know, the Terminator films, um, I think the Alien films um, and Jurassic Park, where I started to realize like, oh, they're like authors behind these things, mm. you know, um, and that I was like that that seems like the most amazing job in the world. Um, and, and you know, that sort of became like an obsession for me. But when you're in Ohio as a kid, it's like, you know, Hollywood might as well be, you know, on on Pluto. Like it's not <laughs> it's not a. Uh, there's no like direct like obvious route to get there um so yeah i had been i had been you know i i started writing at a very young age and um had you know how old i mean i think i was writing my first stuff when i was i don't know maybe like nine or ten i mean like just like you know garbage but like but you were writing movies or you were writing short stories just short stories yeah yeah, yeah. I, had, I started I never that seen at 12 a, yeah. yeah i had no idea like what a screenplay even looked like but i was also making you know little movies and stuff like on like my dad's camcorder yeah. um you know just like editing in camera and like uh, you know i remember realizing the first time that i'm like oh if i like press pause and i like move and go over here and shoot from another angle. It's like, you know, it's an edit. It's like yeah, a movie, yeah. you know, and, um, and. So was, you were teaching yourself the construction of movies. Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, it felt like it was all sort of just like, it was, I was teaching myself, but I didn't even realize I was doing it. Just sort of instinctually, I was like, oh, this is like, this now feels like a movie. Um, and whether I was doing things with friends or with like action figures or whatever I was doing, um, you know, it was, it was just a way, it was. It was just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, eventually, I went to um, I went to undergrad at the University of Colorado in in Boulder, and I was a, an English creative writing major. Wow, I, that's a, a great school and a great town to be in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's it's uh, you know 
Boulder's a very, very um, fun, exciting place to be. It's uh, the school is great, and and it was you know I was writing all the time there, and I had some um, a couple of uh, like short stories that were published, and I I knew I I wanted to be a storyteller, but you know I think film was always my my absolute favorite medium. What years did you go to the university? Um, I graduated University of Colorado in two thousand nine. Ah, okay. Um, and um, and you know, and I got a lot of encouragement coming out of some of those those like fiction workshops and stuff that I had been in. Um, but it's also you know, it's like it's one of those things too. Where you're at a point in your life, you're like you know, like you're definitely at a fork in the road. Like, do I do I do I want to go like get a safe career and make money, or you know, do I want to do this thing that like I'm I'm you know that's all I think about and all I want to do. And what was the safe career you considered? I mean, you know, there I I looked at things like, do I want to go into finance or law <laughs> school or do you know something practical? <laughs> yeah, something that the world you know like like needs. You yeah, know, like um, that that is is you know trying trying to um, you know put something into the world because I think you know for the longest time it feels like you can just be shouting into the void and you're like, yeah, I, does anybody care? Does this matter at all? Yeah. Um, or am I just being very selfish? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and so then um, as I was you know getting close to, to graduating, I sort of made the decision that I you know wanted to see if I could get into um, graduate film school out in California, and um, I ended up going to uh, Chapman University and um, did a, a two year master's program there, um, which was uh, was great. It got me to move out to Southern California and to um, you know, it's sort of like that was the, I, you know, I, I, I took the, the fork in the road that was going to lead towards, towards filmmaking, hopefully. And, um, and yeah, you know, you, 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 it's funny, you show up at a, at a, you know, a, a film school and like suddenly, you know, everybody around you like just wants to talk movies right. and, and directors and stories. They all want to do what you're yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, like, for the vast majority of your life, you know, like, you try to talk about movies to other people, and they're like, yeah, yeah, well, I don't care, man. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, did you have friends when you were a kid who were into it, or you really felt like you were on an island? I, no, I definitely had friends that were into movies, um, but just only in, like, a, in, like, a, they, they loved watching them, but, like, that's about, you know, where it stopped. In I, a mainstream sense. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the video store as a kid, like, yeah. you know, perusing the aisles and, you know, looking at box art and reading the backs. And I, I used to always, like, I mean, I loved the horse action. It was like, my favorite. But um, I used to, like, scare myself with the box art before I'd ever <laughs> even seen the film. And I'd be, like, imagining what the movie was about. And, like, you know, oftentimes what was in my head was way scarier than what eventually the movie ended up being. Unfortunately, often the case. Yeah, yeah for sure. But so man, what it, were the ones that excited you as, in, as your, a, in your youth when, uh, when you were discovering? Yeah. I mean, you know, I have like, for me, I sort of feel like there is a, there's a time before and a time after, uh, seeing a nightmare on Elm street for the first time. Ah. Um, I, that, for me, was one of the scariest concepts I'd, I'd ever seen in my life. I, I'm sort of, um, there's something about uh, things that feel inevitable, you know, or like impossible to, to stop or prevent that that really gets under my skin. And I felt like, you know, I watched it at a friend's house, like at a, at a sleepover for the first time. And I remember like the movie ended and like 
everybody else is like, all right, what are we going to do for us tonight? Should we like, you know, play video games or whatever? And I was like, wait, guys, like, how are we just moving on from this movie? Like, I, I was <laughs> absolutely terrified by it. I feel like I didn't sleep for a week after that because I was wow. so freaked out by it. Um, John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, you know, I, I've been obsessed with, with practical special effects all my life. And um, I had just never experienced anything like that that nobody had yeah yeah Robotine's uh work on that film which you know I mean obviously it's been so discussed to death there's nothing I can really add to the conversation but that you know I just the, the fact that like man the the amount of movie magic that was used to to disturb and unsettle an audience uh, i'd never seen anything like that before. I was lucky enough to be on the set doing the making of oh film. man and to be watching, you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah, that is that is so incredible. So lucky. Wow. Uh, it, it was great. Yeah. So how important do you think it is for a young, hopeful filmmaker to make that move to Los Angeles? You know, it's 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 hard to say. So I think I think that if you can make it work in your life, it's 100 percent worth it to do it because, you know, there is. There's something in the air in Los Angeles that I think um, it sort of forces you to to like confront the thing you came out here to do. It's very hard to put it out of mind because everyone around you is also sort of chasing uh, the, the thing that they came out to do, and it, it's a you know it's a constant topic of, of conversation. So it can be incredibly motivating. I think it can also be. Uh, incredibly demotivating to some people to be out here. So that, yeah. it's a bit of a toss up and, you know, it's a ridiculously expensive city. So you have to be like willing to, you know, maybe live in a shoebox in the Valley, if, yeah. you know, if that's, if that's uh, sort of what your situation is. But, you know, there is something very, um, I, there, there's still something magic, I think, about being out here that is important. I mean, people can make films anywhere and with, with, you know, everything all modern technology and how we're all interconnected like and meetings can, are all, meetings are all online and zoom calls yeah, and all that stuff exactly but there is something to be said about the the connections that you'll organically make out here i mean nobody wants to like i think like people always talk about like networking and stuff which i don't think yeah. actually exists i think that like <laughs> you know relationships are are the real thing that are formed organically and your peers and the people that you're coming up with and even you know people that become assistants in town you know like i remember so many of the people that I went to school with, you know, they, they are doing different things in the industry and they're like some of my really good friends. And it's just, you know, having formed those relationships early on is, is, is really important when you're out here and finding your community, your sort of, like, and it's where the industry lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's worth it, but I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary. You know, right. people got to figure that out for, for their I was lives. lucky enough to be born here. So, <laughs> so that helped a lot. So tell me about the film school experience. You suddenly you have the equipment and the tools of filmmaking at your back and you're able to do that. So how, how was that experience for you? And tell me, did it start with writing? Did it move into actually doing assignments where you're shooting something? Yeah, yeah. So I I um, applied and got into the um, the screenwriting MFA program, hmm. um, and uh, you know the, the what was great about Chapman is that you sort of you pick a specialty, but there's an opportunity to do to try everything there. So I was crewing on other people's sets. You know, I directed some shorts. I there was there was always if, if you're 
like you know you can you can make as many sort of opportunities as you want to in film school i i really think that that you know film schools again not 100 percent necessary for anybody to get into the the industry and you know can be you know very expensive with yeah. things like loans and stuff like that but um i think you you can you get out of it what you put into it mm. and i think that the the you know that environment and the connections that you make was was really huge um for me you know it, it really got me to start taking it seriously and to just like you know that's what sort of started me making a go at it well surrounded by people who are all eager to attain careers in this field had to be motivating and exciting and and just such a change from being in bath ohio big time and it also like i mean listen film school is not the industry and i do think that like a lot of schools uh would benefit from from i don't know how you do it but giving students a little bit more of a dose of of reality the of real the world and a schedule where you've got to be in this location at this time and out of it by here and yeah you and can't the business pick up side and, of things and how yeah. just sort of you know i mean which a lot of it is hard to do until you're actually in it and doing it but but i will say um it it gets you to um it gives you at least an access point of like okay this is how something gets developed gets prepped gets made you know, goes to the post thing. And then like, what do you do with it afterwards? Which is like, you know, I mean, you could, you could find a way to like get ahead of the curve elsewhere on your own and do that. But I think that it it's a, it's a really great, like practical hands-on way to learn. Like, how do you, how do you take something from an idea to like getting it into a film festival? Right. And you also have pro professional equipment to work with at your hands that yeah. would be an expensive rental uh, otherwise. For sure. And I think the schools very smartly, they don't just sort of, you don't just show up and they unlock access to all of that right away, which I think would be a huge mistake. You know, I think like, I remember, you know, when we first got there, they're like, here's a mini DV camera. You don't get anything else. Go make <laughs> something and then show it to your peers, you know, yeah. which is like, that's the other big thing too, is, is, you know, screening in front of, um, you know, your sort of your your contemporaries in school with you. Um, everybody sits there and watches everybody's projects back to back to back to back, and like you know, everybody raises their hands and talks about them right afterwards. And like that can be, you know, that is a <laughs> that can be a rough ride, but it's I think <laughs> yeah. it's a really necessary one to yeah. like have to have people you know sit there and 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 sort of. Um, point out everything wrong with your with your project right in front of you. And um, these are potential filmmakers who are giving input as opposed to all your best friends and family who are going to love everything you do. Exactly. And because of the competitive nature in film school, you know, I think people, yes. they'll dig in even more. But I, again, that's like nothing compared to what's going to happen with, with when you put a movie out in the world for real. So, so what was the next step after film school? Uh, I mean, finding an agent is obviously incredibly important if you want access to the industry. Was that your next step? And how did you go about it? So, you know, after school, so Chapman's down in, in uh, the city of Orange, which is, you know, about like 35 miles south of, of LA, which is yeah. actually a great location because you have, you know, access to, to LA, but you also get to be a little bit removed from it. Yes. Um, but, um, Moved up to LA. I moved into a into a house with like five other friends that I graduated with. Um, All filmmakers, hopeful filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and it was the uh, like by far and away the cheapest rent I ever paid in LA. Um, <laughs> it was great. I mean, we we lived in that house for a couple of years, and and I have a, a lot of nostalgia for it. Um, and some of those guys are still some of my best friends. Um, but the uh, 
you know, I, that's the thing. I mean, you, you sort of, you, you graduate from film school and then you go to LA and you're like, okay, like now what? Like nothing, yeah. nothing is waiting for you here. And nobody like, at film school is saying here, I, I know this agent that you should talk to or anything like that. I mean, there, I'm, there might be some of that going on, but like but you that, didn't that didn't happen for me. No. Yeah. I, so I had been, um, you know, I, I had been working as an assistant in town for a little bit. Uh, for which, what companies? Um, well, for for a few different companies, but I... Uh, okay, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> I was a terrible assistant. Um, it was, you know, I partly just because I'm not wired that way and partly because, you know, I, I was thinking about the stuff that I wanted to do right. all the time, right? Um, and when you're an assistant in this town, I mean, you are really dedicated to somebody else's schedule and 24 and hours a day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I did that for a while. And then eventually I was like, I don't have enough time to do the creative stuff that I want to do. So, so I, I quit and then figured out ways to make it work with, with day jobs for several years. Right. But it had time to, to be writing. And then, you know, I was, I was spending time where I could scrapping together short films, um, with like, you know, mostly with like no budget, you know, just trying to like wrangle some friends together, having a really strong idea for something, um, and a plan and then like wrangling friends together on a weekend to, to shoot it. And then, you know, um, seeing them through in, in post. And, um, so I spent a lot of years just kind of grinding, writing features, writing shorts and like making a short here and there where I could. And, um, and I, you know, I had a couple of scripts that like, got passed around town um, and like, you know, I would get the occasional like water bottle meeting off of them, but you know, none of them ever went the distance or really, you know, nothing ever really happened with any of that stuff. And um, so you sent them by yourself. You didn't go through an agent at this time. No, I mean, I, I sort of like worked with, with some like managers here and there that, yeah. that like for like short periods of time that, you know, but like nothing ever came to fruition with any of that. Right. And, um, and, you know, there's a whole lot of people sort of like telling you what you should do and like, oh, you should write something like this. And I'm like, I didn't come out here to write something like that. And they're like, mm. well, you shouldn't write that thing you want to write, which, and I, I was like, all of that was like not, uh, didn't feel correct to me. Um, yeah. and, and I think like, you know, so I, I decided to serve. Because everybody like, else is writing what they should be writing. You should write something of your own that's distinctive to who you are as a creative person. Exactly. Yeah. And it's very easy, I think, especially, you know, um, for, for young writers that are trying to find a way to break into like, try to like, you know, game theory, the <laughs> industry or like yeah. sort of scheme their way and, and like write towards some objective yeah if you're writing something that's popular now it's going to be out of fashion by the time you have finished yeah and there's just you know i think there's a whole like kind of like bizarre cottage industry around aspiring screenwriters boy that's for sure very very strange that i don't get at all but um you know for me i think what was like really important was sort of the decision to just like you know take take the wheel on my own sort of path um and uh and so I had, I had made a couple of short films and then I, I, there was this one that I, you know, I wanted to take a swing on a short film. Um, you know, I, I had done a, a couple that, that were, were basically for no money. I had one of the ones that I had put out into the world had done really well on the festival circuit. And I made that for, for basically for the price of, of food. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I had been writing these sort of stacks of short films um, and I knew like there was a a few that were that felt like bigger swings and I, I i i kept sort of 
you know, trying to figure out which one it was going to be. And so there was this one that I'd written called Laura Hasn't Slept. And uh, that was the one I decided to, to pull the trigger on. And it, um, you know, th- it was the first time that like I, I raised a little bit of money sort of internally. So like friends and family and stuff like that. And then I, um, I, I opened like a couple of new credit cards with like no, <laughs> no uh, interest for 18 months, which is not something I recommend anybody do um, unless you, unless you're like, you know, really, really sure you want to do it. Um, and I just sort of, you know, I, I, I covered my eyes and, and uh, just, you know, was expensing things on those cards. And, um, you know, I was able to um, sort of like talk my way into a soundstage and, and we, wow. we, we, it, we did a lot of prep and planning um, for this. We had, you know, basically five days to, to um, build and, and light the set. And then we had two days to shoot. And then where we, was the stage? So it was at Chapman. Uh, ah, okay. and, you know, I was an alumni at that point. And how many people were on your crew? Uh, for that crew, I think about 20 people. And again, it was mostly friends. You know, I, I, right. I, I like every favor I had ever banked, um, you know, I, I sort of called on for that because I'd worked on other people's sets and just sure. whatever I could do over the years. And so um, and I, you know, give a lot of credit to all my friends and collaborators on that who who really came through it. And and, you know, we 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 kept it to a two day shoot. And um, and so, you know, I, we we shot that film, which was like, you know, a, a very, I mean, it, it was much, it was a much bigger swing. I mean, it's still a very modest budget, but like, you know, we, we put some, some actual money into it. I took, took, took on some, some debt to do that. Yeah. How, and, how, what was the budget? If you want to say, <laughs> if you um, don't, that's okay too. It was, it was, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was close to about 30. Uh, oh, that's great! Yeah, which yeah. which you know felt it's a healthy like... budget for a short, but it also you're competing with all the other professional filmmaking out there, not with other students. Yeah, and that felt like a like an insane amount of money at the yeah. time to me that I was very nervous about. But you know, I had I had committed to doing it, and um, and like you know, so but the the we we did the short, we or I, you know I, I shot it, and then we got into post, and because it was like me and um and you know just a couple of friends working on it in post, sort of like in the evenings, because like we we had like almost no money for post on the, right. on the short, but wanted to make sure it was it was done correctly. So you know it took months and months to to finish that because there are you know there's. There's visual effects. There's like real sound design. You know, uh, we you know did a, an original score for it, um, and uh, we managed to get it into South by Southwest. For yeah, its well, you premiere. you need to make it a real movie and not feel like an amateur short. Yeah, which is something that I had done on my previous short films. Was like you know that was a that was a big I think um, thing that I learned early on is that like seeing a short through uh in post is like so important and making sure that you're finishing it, it you know correctly um makes such a, a huge difference no matter how long it takes to do that and um we had we had gotten the short into uh South by Southwest it was supposed to have its world premiere there wow. in 2020 um that was supposed to be March 2020 oh no yeah and so we found <laughs> out like the week beforehand that it was canceled because of the onset of the pandemic, oh. um, which was which was brutal. You know, I had a lot of uh, emotional eggs invested in in the basket. Of oh, you had to be looking forward to this like nothing ever before. Yeah, ex- exactly. And so, um, you know, but again, like 
very, very small potatoes problems compared to what was going on in the sure, world. So, like, sure. you know, uh, I certainly wasn't. Um, I was very frustrated internally, but I was, you know, didn't feel like uh, anybody wanted to hear about that. Um, but luckily, because they had canceled the festival so close to, um, so close to its date, um, they went ahead with the judging and uh, Laura so they did it online. Yeah. yeah, and so Laura hasn't slept. Um, was so lucky to win uh, the special jury award. And that got like announced in the uh, in all the trades, like in you know Deadline and, and everywhere else. Right. And um, and so we had this we had this Vimeo link with a password on it that um, got like slipped out. Oops. And uh, which was, <laughs> that was the best thing in the world. Yeah. For you, right? And I remember like I woke up one morning and suddenly there were like hundreds of new views on it, and I was like, wait, what is going on oh. right now? And, um, and so I, I heard that like it was being passed around town, like very, you know, I guess organically, like people were just sharing it and, um, because they liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, you know, but I was sort of like, I didn't, I don't think anybody knew how to get a, a hold of me. So I went to the, to the Vimeo page and like made an edit on it and like put my email on the, uh, on the page. Smart. And then like the next day, like my inbox exploded, Um, which was, was very, it was a very weird, surreal way to start the pandemic because, um, suddenly I was on like 10 zooms a day. I'd never used zoom, but I think most of us hadn't, but suddenly it instantly became, became my, my life from my, uh, I was living in a, a very small, uh, one bedroom guest house, um, Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, at least and, you didn't have five roommates in there with you. No, ju- <laughs> just 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 the uh, just the one. But the uh, the the uh, you know just from from my bedroom suddenly it felt like every yeah, I was having meetings all all across town, and so I was able to um, that that was how I signed with my my agent and and managers. Um, and, uh, so people look for these things, you know, that they look at the competitions of the, of the well-established festivals and they're looking for talent. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, there's also a, a sense of like, you know, I heard from people that like, you know, the, the short film hit their inbox from like five different trusted people on right. the same day, you know? So I felt like, yeah. like it, it seemed like they were like, well, I can't not watch this, um, you know, which, which was very exciting that happened but you know all of the producers and executives and people that i was talking to everybody seemed very hungry for a feature and they were curious if i had a feature sort of based on this short and when i made the short um i i i made it to exist for its own right i think the best shorts feel sort of self-contained yeah i think yeah complete yeah and anything that's sort of like smells like a commercial for something bigger i think oftentimes feels a little cynical and like you know i've seen a bunch of those they never quite work for me um i I think you want to feel like real passion for what the short itself is. absolutely that it is self-contained yeah so it wasn't your idea to turn that into a feature or it was do you have a feature and thought that maybe this could be the one yeah well when i was in post on that short because i was in post on it for so long um you know, there was something about the idea that sort of like kept, you know, uh, poking around inside of my brain um, that felt like there's something more here, um, you know, with with the tone and, and the sort of circumstances of the of the short. And um, slowly but surely this this, you know, you know, idea for a much larger story emerged from that for what eventually became Smile. Um, and so 
I had been thinking about that and and sort of um, brainstorming on that for quite a while. And and so when people started asking, I sort of softly started pitching this this idea I had been working on. And like right away, everybody was like, "Oh man, like that is really." interesting like like have you written it yet what's going on and i was like well i haven't written it yet but you know i'm i'm i've i've got the story and so i i sort of took a couple weeks and um developed a, a pitch uh for for the feature and then be, had this opportunity to 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 via zoom pitch it all around town right. and um and so was it produced first before paramount plus picked it up or they funded the writing of the script and the making of the film so so yeah pa- paramount um bought like they basically they 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 wanted to do it based on the pitch so what they did was they um you know they optioned the short film and then um got me going writing the first draft and right so it was an all-in-one house it wasn't like assembling 20 different production companies like exactly so many films yeah do. it was just my my producers at temple hill who were amazing who like really believed in the idea and wanted to do it the way that i wanted to do it um and so yeah, and then you know we we were sort of off to the races um, once once that deal happened, and so I I, I wrote a, a draft and turned it in and it <clears throat> went over really well with the studio, and um and then you know I think you know I, I had done I think a single round of notes and um and then in May 2021 um we got on a zoom with with paramount and they're like hey we're greenlit like let's go make this thing wow yeah now you gotta know that that's not the way it normally happens. yeah I, i've been told yes um no i i i think i got uh yep very lucky with with the needle that we threaded on this one that that you know there there seemed like there was all this uh sort of inertia behind it uh to to get it made but you know we were we were so we were under what was called at the time uh paramount players which was like a a sister division right they were their kind of not art house but uh, the smaller film division yeah and they could do original (laughs) films you know they didn't have to be based on anything and they were willing to take like a little bit more of like a risk on on like what what the things were and they just had to fit into a certain budget box and so we made the film under Paramount Players um, for Paramount Plus, it was, it so was it was designed... always intended to be streamed on Paramount Plus. Yes, yeah, so that that was that was the whole situation of, of how we got greenlit was was for that. So we were off to the races. We had a you know very uh, like tight prep time. Um, how long? So we had six weeks, and we only oh my god, and the and we only had uh, one role cast, which was which was Sosie. right? Um, so it was, and we'll talk about the casting process yeah. in a bit. But. And so it was very fast, and then and then um, we had a thirty one day shoot, and wow. so um, you know we went out to New Jersey uh, to to do all of that, and you know it was under full COVID protocols. We, we how was New Jersey chosen? So. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was for the tax credit. Okay, um, yeah, that's I mean, fair. That was, yeah, that, but but it so also so they had the most advantageous. Uh, th- it was situation. a combination of of you know the only way this movie was gonna happen was through a tax credit, and um, we were looking at the different places, and New Jersey had everything that the script sort of called for, and what I liked about it was that um, there was like interesting like texture to it that I felt like hadn't yeah. been it hadn't been overshot. I don't think in in films yet i mean i feel like like you know atlanta is an amazing hub for 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 film and i'm you know i think the industry is so lucky to to have atlanta but like 
everything shoots there now. You yeah. Know? So like it started, it's starting to like, you, you see a lot of the same stuff happening. It's the American Vancouver. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which is to not deny like any reason to, to shoot in Atlanta. Right. But, right. but, but you know, it, but it was you also something... have so many crews. You can only go so deep. Exactly. Yeah. Cause like if yeah. you're not, if you're not a hundred million dollar Marvel movie, like, you know, you're I, not getting the top of the line. It's certainly not. Yeah. So, um, but in New Jersey, you can draw from New York, which and is all like of the exactly talent. what we did. I yeah. See. Um, and I just, you know, we, you know, we made the decision to shoot New Jersey for New Jersey and uh, you know i love right. it i love that it, you know and it's 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 not overwhelming but it plays a character in in the film um and new jersey in the fall is amazing you know it it you know there's like the industrial side of it but it's also called the garden state for a yes. reason you know i mean yeah. like the nature there is very interesting and, and <clears throat> it had everything we we needed and um you know it, it was it was awesome shooting there i i really really enjoyed it so tell me about the prep how you prepared your first feature film as a director uh, and as a writer um, did you storyboard? Did you shot list everything? Um, and, and did you go to those locations and photograph them and map them out and do all that? What was your preparation like? Yeah. So I am like, uh, like, uh, I lean very, very heavy on, on prep. I like, I like, and prep is my, f- probably one of my favorite parts of the process. Mm. And, um, you know, even in the way that I write, I mean, I sort of write towards, um, how I'm going to direct a scene um and sometimes i mean it's it's written specifically in the script uh in a way that doesn't like disrupt the flow of the read but like that you really get a sense of like how shots are gonna feel because i i also i'm somebody that like i don't like shooting standard co- coverage it just right, um right it's not it's not the way i want to make movies i really if i can do something that feels sort of like one bespoke shot into the next um you know that's that's the way i want to do it but the only way to do that is to, to have a really solid plan yeah. and so um you know i shot list the entire script ahead of time uh and worked on it with, all with, beforehand you didn't do it on the weekends before each uh, correct i mean week. you're continuing to work on it you're all refining the way through it. refining yes but but you know major plan going in and so i you know i w- had been you know shot listing and then working on it with my dp charlie seraf yeah. and um and so you know really building this plan and then for some of the locations that we had access to in prep we would go on you know you're prepping all week long and then on the weekends we would go and if we could get access to it um we he and i would go and sort of like block things out and uh and use our phones and and sort of um you know continue to refine and um and so you know we're doing all of that i mean and it's a it's a the movie is like not contained, you know, which is, yeah. is it's it, which was by design, you know, to feel like, I, you know, I, I always feel like you should really stretch a budget to its breaking point and always be punching above your weight. And you're living in a world then not in a room. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I sort of, you know, I, I, I do that, that I think hopefully from like every angle, um, you know, on, on the film, but we had a lot to, to figure out because, you know, I also like, I wanted to use practical effects. Yeah. Um, I wanted to use practical fire. Um, you know, we needed, we, we knew we needed to build a couple of the locations. I love stagecraft, um, yeah. and building sets. I'm, I'm, you know, I, it's like one of my favorite things in the world. And, um, you know, we had found this warehouse, uh, in, in, uh, Kearney, New Jersey, um, that was not a soundstage. I mean, like the, the lightest gust of wind and the whole thing would rattle. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> yes, of course. But it was a huge empty space that, you know, we could build a, a scene shop and we, you know, we, we built the interior of the hospital and the uh, interior of Rose's childhood home. Um, 
which we knew like those. And then we also did a couple all their like small things that were like sort of like single shots and things like that in there. But, um, you know, those were locations we knew we were going to have to build. So we had to figure out all of that. We're location scouting for everything else. Um, and, you know, there there was there was certainly uh, some some I would say resistance about things like practical effects and practical fire. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, those were very, very important. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I had to make a case and to the studio's credit, they they you know, they went with it. Um, you want your cast to be reacting to something they're actually in a room with rather than a green tennis ball. Totally. Yeah. And, and for me, it's just, it's the stuff that, that I love, you know, it's like, the, these are the things that, that inspire me about movies is, is I love handcrafted things that are real. Yeah. Putting, I mean, and by the way, there's also, you know, VFX is a, is a like marvelous tool that, that Fantastic. I think is very useful that I use in my films, but I always want the combination of the two because I think that's the best way to sort of immerse an audience into what's happening on screen. Well, you use the word tool and that's what it is. You yeah. use the best tool for the effect you're going for. It is a tool. It also is. I mean, these are real artists too that are doing amazing yeah. things. I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to discredit any of that. Um, but that I think that that, that blend is so, so important. And, um, so we needed, you know, all of the runway, you know, through prep and production um, to be able to do, you know, the 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 big giant practical effect at the end of the film yeah. and also the fire and all of those sorts of things. Those were what we shot very, very last because we needed all that runway. Well, film school was great in your case because you studied screenwriting. Mm -hmm. You study in the course of production, you're, ta you're doing photography, you're doing sets, you're doing sound you're doing all the post-production is all covered. So you were really prepared to make your first time stand as a feature filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that anything can truly prepare you for going yes, into that. Yes, for the real feature. world of filmmaking. Yeah. And, and you know, the, but, but I would say like going through film school and then also doing my own independent shorts, you know, that I think the, the discipline you learn of how important every aspect of it is and, and how to sort of, um, plan out sort of the, you know, starting with a kernel of an idea to like, I've got a DCP now of a film. Um, you know, that that is invaluable, like really understanding what it takes. I think too many people are willing to be like, I'm going to shoot something on my phone on a weekend and then yeah. I'm going to cut it together, you know, on Monday and then I'm just going to put it on YouTube on Tuesday, <laughs> right, which right. is fine and by the way like i don't mean to like you know millions of those yeah and people and people really make it work too yeah I, i'm not trying to say but like for me it was really important to like understand okay like how do you really give every element of the film it's like you know the, the love and and time and dedication that's due to it yeah yeah i could never have afforded film school but fortunately amazing stories was my film school yeah well. i got to work with all of these <laughs> amazing incredible. people my first time out yeah but i started later you know i was in my 30s when that happened so oh, well. But, um, you know, the casting process uh, during pre-production. So how did, uh, like, Sosie Bacon, and uh, how did she come to your attention? Yeah. So um, I had been meeting with different um, actors for the lead role, and um, I met with a, a lot of really incredible women that I would have been so lucky to work with. Um, and, you know, when I met with Sosie... Um, I had just watched Mare of Easttown. It was uh. like really, really fresh in my brain. And I thought she was incredible in that show. I mean, she, she's playing this character who is, 
you know, sort of set up as as the the you know a heel to Kate Winslet's character mm-hmm. Tamara. And um, you know, when you're first introduced to her, you're just like, oh man, like this this character feels like a villain in a, in a way, you know, or, or a real antagonist, I should say, right. not a villain, but an antagonist, right, who is a massive roadblock to our main character. And then as it progresses, um, the like depth of humanity and and empathy that she built into that into that character and that performance draws you in and suddenly this character that you assumed you were like you didn't want to spend any time around suddenly you're like wow i'm like really fascinated and drawn to this character and and really feel for her and it's and you know it's a tough character she's like a you know sort of like ex-drug addict who's really been dealing with that who you know is uh is is sort of set up as this huge kind of like mess uh almost like kind of a kind of a monster and then and then you to to humanize character like that is like no easy thing to do and she's really only in i think like i don't know nine or ten scenes throughout the whole series but has this massive impact on it and really like you know is is you know she's acting across kate winslet who is kate winslet right (laughs) but like sosie is is incredible you know i mean she has got such gravitas to her and so when i met with her um she was just instantly saying all of the right things it was very Mm. clear that the way that she was thinking about story and character was so thoughtful so mature so um such an interesting approach and she was talking about how she was really drawn to to finding a role that would really challenge her and scare her and um you know she 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 wasn't looking to play you know she wasn't like looking to to put on fancy dresses and quip you know like yeah she's not a glamour you cast someone who from the real world rather than someone for their glamour exactly and and like you know i think you know Sosie, by the way, can do glamour really well. You know, sure, which you yeah. know, well, but, she has but, good genes for, for sure. <laughs> but but there, but she, I think, what she was interested in was what I was interested in, and then the fact that she had never been the the lead of a feature before, there was something about that that really intrigued me. I thought like there was maybe an opportunity to sort of put, you know. Um, you know, somebody who audiences, most audiences might not be familiar with right away in front of the camera uh, and, and sort of center a story on them. And I thought that there would just be this level of like, you could suspend your disbelief even further. Because yeah, you you're see not the character, not the actor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and so, um, you know, right when we got off of uh, that, that first meeting, um, you know, the first thing I did was like write a letter to the studio. And I was like, we, we found Rose like this. It, it has to be Sosie. And, um, and they, they believed in it. I think, uh, you know, they, I, they were very intrigued by it. And, and so, and so we, we cast Sosie and then we were off to the races. Yeah. So what is it that's so disconcerting about a smile? (laughs) I mean, you know, so I, here's the thing is that, you know, the, I think the sort of like obvious answer is the sort of the inherent contradiction, right? That like a mm-hmm. smile is designed to be like warm and inviting and kind. it's a, it's a universal symbol for friendliness. Yes. I'm right? sure this is a question that you get asked <laughs> in every interview and that you're prepared for, but it's something that is fascinating because yeah. it's the same reason a clown is scary. Exactly. Know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, like to take something that is supposed to be what, what our brain is telling us, Hey, that's friendly and turning it into this, like, you know, promise of a threat something menacing and evil and like hateful um you know i i think there's something that it sort of shakes in our core that 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 really freaks us out the other thing that i think is is really interesting is that i think in practicality 
um, we wear smiles as masks all the time, right? So, and, you know, I think that whether you're in like an awkward awkward social situation that you're trying to like back away from, whatever, yeah. you know, you, you smile through something like that <laughs> or something, you know, much, much heavier. I think, we, you know, all of us, you know, sometimes walk around with, with like grief or, or trauma or, or stress or anxiety, these things that, that, that we're all carrying around inside of our heads, but like, we don't want to let the outside world in on that stuff. And so I think like a, a smile can be a mask for, for those kinds of things, right. That it's sort of, it's, it's hiding what's going on on the inside. And I think, you know, that is, that is something I think a lot of people can relate to. And so that felt very, um, you know, uh, like apropos to the to the character story that I was telling, and I wanted to see if I could take a smile and like make it an actual mask for for the evil in the film. Well, you mentioned earlier that um, a nightmare on Elm Street changed your life because of the story, the inevitability of all of these people's fortunes, and that's very much a theme of the inevitability of when you come in contact with one of the smilers. Was that a conscious thing? Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is always swimming around in my brain, certainly. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I, I, you know, I look inwards uh, first for when I'm trying to think of like what what could be scary. And so, you know, inevitability is something that that um, I kind of love as a as a framework for something scary. Hmm. Um, and so, I, I think it, it's I'm always trying to find ways to sort of imbue that into into the the sort of things that go bump in the night in 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 my stories but um yeah it just it felt right it felt uh it felt again like very sort of in line with the motifs and 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 some of the the thematics that i was exploring the things that gave you chills when you were young yeah exactly so the first time you well before we get to the theater how did this suddenly turn into a major studio release on thousands of screens yeah so we you know we we finished shooting um like right before thanks like days before thanksgiving 2021 right on schedule um and, just a year ago yeah and um and then you know got into into post and so you know i turned in my director's cut at at 10 weeks um which is that's pretty much standard, dga right? standard yeah. yeah and so you know and what happens is is you know you you are you're you're playing out of avid and, and you're 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 having the you know people who just spent millions of dollars uh <laughs> you know sit down they're like all right show us what you did and right. um of course it's all like held together with with scotch tape and, and <laughs> staples and band-aids metaphorically yes yeah and you're you're you know in the old is, days it was literally held together right? <laughs> yeah and and you're you're you know and it's a it's a very nerve-wracking experience um doing that but um you know we we, we played it and it, it went over very well um for the executives in in the theater and this is when you know paramount players was still that's who watched it was paramount players right and um and they were very supportive after that screening, and and you know the 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 vibes were very were very good, um, and so the next step is you go to you, you do your first preview screening, which I think was at either like twelve or thirteen weeks. Right, and um, where did you preview it? So we previewed at the uh, the Burbank AMC. Ah, perfect. Yeah, that, and, my first movie screened there too. Yeah, and <laughs> and so the the. Um, 
we're heading towards that, you know, just, just desperate trying to get more and more done because you're going to show it to random people for the first time yeah. who are then like going to be given every, every ability to, uh, sort of eviscerate you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and all I've heard are like, you know, nightmare stories about, about test screenings or whatever. So, yeah. you know, it's very nerve wracking. Um, and so, um, you know, there, there's a whole other story to be told, but, um, the like days beforehand, um, the, you know, Paramount Players was folded back into Paramount. Right, um, the theatrical company, yeah. Well, yes, but as far as, like, you know, the things that had been made under Players, it, they were still planning to, you know, Plus was still a thing. There was just right. sort of, like, a, I think a, a tightening of the, of the belt at, at Paramount. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, like, all of the executives that were on the film... We're, we're no longer at the studio, Ouch. and and I loved all these people. These were these were fantastic execs, and and uh, were I mean you know they they were the ones who made smile happen. You know, yeah, you got the support from these people who made it through. Yeah, and and so I, um, we, you know, we're, we basically I we we became this sort of like orphaned movie for a few days, and this is like literally three days before our first test screening, and um, and so you know word comes down. Test screening's still on. You're gonna go there, and um, and you know, so we, we we go on on Tuesday, and um, we we set it up and we play it in front of the audience. And I I remember beforehand the the sort of like research people, you know, they're they're like, listen, horror routinely tests, you know, at least ten points lower than every yeah. other genre. NRG, yeah, yeah, and they're like, and also like movies with you know um you know your sort of thematics and ending uh like do even worse so like they're like don't worry everybody's looking at it through that lens like it's going to be fine when the audience hates your movie like um you know which is <laughs> now like, that's a good setup yeah not a, not a great boost of confidence uh -huh. um but um we we go and we play it and again you know i'm 12 or 13 weeks in a post i my face is smashed so against it that i have no sense of objectivity yeah. whatsoever but here you're seeing your movie for the first time with a real audience. Yeah. And your first movie for the first time with a real audience. So this sounds like we're about to hear a Cinderella story. <laughs> well, so it's a packed, like, 270-person screening. Um, and the, you know, the movie starts. And, you know, it... I, it's it's the movie's got a little bit of a slow burn to the oh, beginning yeah. of it, yeah. um, which is like a very interesting thing to experience in an in an audience full of people who showed up that maybe thought they were seeing like a new Conjuring kind of movie or something like right. that. Um, but the uh, it it's and by the way, there's no marketing. There's no nobody knows anything about this movie because there's nothing about it out there in the right. world. That was about to change. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I remember like we 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 get to the scene with Laura and you know, she, she, ha she goes into her conniptions. Rose goes to the phone to make the call. And then, you know, score goes quiet. Rose turns around. And that first time that we cut to Laura smiling, um, this like shockwave went through oh. the audience that was like so loud. And, um, just from that point, my editor was sitting next to me and he was like, dude, I, I think we got him. And uh, for the rest of the movie, there was just this like really just intense like electricity in the air in the room. And people were like screaming at the screen. I mean, uh, I, I, I the, the way they're interacting with the movie was just it was like overwhelming. I, you I had to be it. getting tearful. 
I mean, yeah, I, I just, I mean, I was like, so just like what I couldn't believe that, that people were responding to it the way they were. And, um, cause you're just, you're so in it at that point. You're just worried about every little blemish sure. on it and all that stuff. And you just can't look at it holistically at all. We leave the, uh, the screening, they're filling out all of the, stuff you know which is happening they do it on tablets now so it's all sort of like live you Mm -hmm. know uh, happening and we're discussing out in the hallway and you know my producers are there the executives from the studio are there and the i'm meeting some executives for the first time at this screening (laughs) uh who did not know any like they had never read the script and know anything about the movie and um and the research people come over and they're like guys like the movie is like scoring through the ceiling like like the scores are coming in very very high um, so everybody's very excited. The next day at, at the studio, we had this sort of like, um, we had this, uh, what they, uh, it's funny, they, they call it sort of a, a postmortem yeah. Zoom, <laughs> there you um, go. that is, you know, like the, the research team has taken all the cards and has sort of like built a pr- uh, presentation out of it. Right. And we find out like minutes beforehand that like, they're like, uh, you know, I think an assistant in like a like a little black box on the Zoom like gets on. They're like, "Hi guys, uh, Brian Robbins is going to join the Zoom," and Brian Robbins is you know head honcho at Paramount, right? And um, he gets on and 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 you know he's got the the numbers in his hand, and I can just tell there's a lot of excitement on the Zoom. And so Brian is like, "Here's what I want to do. I want to take the same cut. And I want to put it into another theater immediately." exact same cut and I want to test it again. And he's like, I want the heads of, you know, uh, marketing, uh, advertising and distribution to come and watch it with a real audience. Right. So we're like, okay. And at that point I'm also like, Oh man, like I, I don't want to like tempt fate twice. So like another test screening, you know, right. Like, who but knows? you've got some confidence from that first one. A little bit. I, I think 12 or 13 weeks in a post, I, I don't I don't think I had any confidence because, you know, <laughs> okay. it, 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 that's, that's still a, a very strange place to be. So so we do it again. We go to the Santa Monica AMC this time. Same deal. They, they retest it. It somehow goes up a couple of points. Wow. Which, you know, same cut. Um, but like it, it plays the exact same way in the room. I mean, people are shouting at the screen, uh, like really, really reacting to it in a strong way. And, um, and then the next thing that I hear after that is that they're setting up these screenings on the lot for tons of different people, like from Paramount to come and watch this movie wow. because there was like, uh, there was only like a small handful of people that knew that this movie even got made, like sure. that it even existed. Ah, streaming. Yeah. <laughs> Which by care. the way, I mean, I think there's a, you know, it's just, I think it's just the siloed nature of things. Like, cause sure. there was like, it's not like. There was a lot of care, you know, from from everyone who had made it. I mean, yeah, they it, weren't dissing it; they exactly, just weren't aware yeah. of it. It just yeah. was it was a sort of different side of the business. You know, yeah. they'd never had a uh, a a real like you know P and L sort of talk about this or whatever. Right. But so the next thing I sort of hear is that like there's all these screenings of it happening, all these meetings about the movie are happening, and we're just like I'm being told like just keep moving forward in post. Um, and so we're 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 working on it. We're working on it. Then I hear, okay, they're having a, basically what would have been a green light meeting, um, like way after the fact, as far like a theatrical green light meeting. Wow. And, um, we were, we were in the DI, um, starting to. Doing to, the digital interface. Yeah, yeah. To, to color the film. And I got a call and they were like, Hey, we want to bring you in to, uh, like you and the producers to have a discussion. And we go into, um. Mark Weinstock's office. Mark is the head of marketing at Paramount. Right. And um, they're like, we really 
like believe in this film and we want to take it wide release theatrical and do a full marketing campaign behind it, which was like, you know, I, my ears were buzzing. I was trying to understand if I, like how I was misinterpreting what was being said to me. Yeah. This doesn't happen. This doesn't happen, but you know, and normally our show, we cover careers, but in this case, your career is one feature, but it's an amazing story, <laughs> which is why we can spend an hour talking about it and still not feel fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was it was um, one of those, like, I mean, even getting to make a movie with Paramount was such a dream come true. But yeah. Like, for this to have happened was just, like, the most surreal, just, you know, pinch me thing that, that, that ever, you know? And then within moments... The trailer is everywhere. Well, yeah. So what, what we had done? So I get this call because we're still we're still uh, you know working on the movie in in the GI which we were doing at Photochem, and they're like, hey, we have this idea. Um, like Top Gun comes out next week, and we, we want to <laughs> put a thirty second like title reveal teaser on Top Gun. Um, well, there's which, another dream come true. Yeah, which by the way, Top Gun was like the widest released film ever, I think, yep. like domestic release uh, at that point. And so they're like, but we have to think inside the box because like your movie is extremely rated R, but this has to be something that can play in front of a four quadrant film. Um, so they came up with that little 30 second idea that basically revealed the title and the concept of, of The Smiling. And um, what was great was they didn't put it on the internet, right? So that right. nobody knew oh, that was coming. Even better. And it was funny. I was kind of like looking at like Reddit and some other places, and there were people that were like, "Did I have like a fever dream? Like what is?" Because they couldn't find anything about the movie right. and what it was. Um, and then it was like you know a few weeks after that that they they released the uh, the the first theatrical trailer, which you couldn't go to the movies without seeing, no yeah. matter what you saw. Yeah. Which was, was very strange. Um, How was that feeling when you first went to the movies and saw your trailer? There? So I did you to... go to see it or did you go to a movie and it popped up? Well, I knew, I knew it was going to be there. I mean, so the first movie it was on was the black phone, which I was going to go see anyways. Right. Um, but I went, uh, you know, opening night at the black phone. And um, that was the first time that the movie was, the, the, the trailers playing theatrically. And, um, it was it was like you know in, incredible to like people were like people like screamed at the end of the trailer <laughs> in the theater which was like I I, I like I, you know it's, it feels weird to say but like I don't ever recall that happening with yeah. a trailer in a in a theater before and the amount of like chatter afterwards where that of people talking about it was just like. It was amazing. I mean, it was, it, you know, like it was just surreal. I went with a buddy and it, I, I like couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It sort of like blew my mind how, yeah. how much people reacted to the trailer. And, yeah. um, and then, yeah, then suddenly every movie I went to for the rest <laughs> yeah. of the summer, it was on, which probably felt like a lot for some people, but it really, it, it got, they had a very short window to get the word out about well, the film. it worked. I love hearing a Cinderella story, particularly in our genre. And I'm so glad it happened for you. Oh, so... You. I'm sure you've been offered a lot of nutty stuff as well as interesting stuff. Um, what's next for you? You know, I want to I want to continue to to make um, you know horror is one of my first loves. I definitely you know I love things that are scary or sort of anxiety inducing. Um, you know, I, I love I love like movies that that, that make you sweat. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always trying to instill that into what I'm doing. But I want to continue to make you know, genre films that are, you know, a little left to center that have a real character story, you know, uh, that, that are, that is the main thing driving them. Um, and, and, 
you know, whether that's, I'm always going to be writing like original things, but I'm also interested that if there's a way to sort of, um, just because of, you know, I think the way that, that, that the industry works now, I think there can be really interesting opportunities to, to, um, you know, Trojan horse, what, what ostensibly is an original film inside of the box of IP, you know, that, that's an intriguing concept to me, but, you know, I, I just want to make sure that, that I can do things that, that, um, that feel sort of Parker Finn movies. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do that. Finian films. Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for telling your story. Congratulations on $200 million box office and continuing. And, uh, I think, um, it should be on demand, uh, when this drops. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This was this was incredible, and I'm such a fan. So this was this was such oh, an exciting experience. Thank you. It's really been a blast, and I couldn't be happier for you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.